there's a man going around taking names. And he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around. The hairs on your arms will stand up and the terror and each sip and in each sup. Will you partake of that last offered cup or disappear into the potter's ground when the man comes around? Whoever is unjust, let him be unjust still. Whoever is righteous, let him be righteous still. Whoever is filthy, let him be filthy still. Listen to the words long written down. When the man comes around. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I behold a white horse. And the name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. My favorite part of that section of the, of the Bible, that from the book of Revelation, when they're introducing the four horsemen, is the part where, uh, like, it's all this badass metal shit. Like, oh my god, like these, the guy's got a sword and he's slaying a quarter of the earth or whatever. And then they get to famine, and it's like he's got a. He's got uh, a balance, and he's making sure that you know the correct price of... Uh, of he's basically doing a price check at, at Piggly Wiggly in the middle of the ap- apocalypse. He's yeah. like, and I'll forget, uh, it's a penny for, uh, for a rod of weed or whatever the fuck. It's like, I'm sorry, there's guys with like giant swords and sickles, and they're destroying half of the price of the earth. Could you... Could we talk about this later, maybe? But that's the thing about famine is it's not really about food. It's about uh, money. It's about affording it, not whether it exists. And so... The end of the at the end of line. I think that's a good reminder. That guy from uh, that horseman and his introduction. That uh, when it comes, when the end comes, whatever end you're fantasizing, there's still going to be somebody there with a fucking uh, price gun. You're still going to have to pay for it. It's not going to be. Uh, it's not going to be some. Carnival free-for-all, where uh, all of the established structures that have bound you in life have fallen away. No, no, those are going to hang on till the bitter fucking end. I was looking for that quote again. The whole thing. Yes. 
And I saw another horse that was red, and the power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. That's badass. That's fucking metal. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. Wait a minute, what? Balances? And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Oh, cool. That's badass. But then he opened the fourth seal, and I heard a voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked and beheld a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and Hell followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. I never get how you're supposed to kill with death. Like, you kill with hunger, kill with... Uh, War, how do you kill with death? Like the concept of death? Dumb. I mean, the guy was stripping balls on mushrooms on Patmos. We can't take him too seriously. But of course, we have to understand it as a metaphor uh, for. The end times. And I honestly feel like the Enlightenment and, and modernity in the, in the West has done a good job of obscuring a fundamental truth, which is that Christianity is and always was in its uh, original incarnation, in its uh, conception, in its narrative, in, in, its in its symbolic architecture, is a... a apocalyptic movement. It is a, you could call it a death cult, but I think that's honestly negative, too pejorative. But I think that that's, that's because the, the promise of Christianity the, it's its solution to the problem of existence, uh, which the Jews had tackled with their notion of a covenant of a God who has a particular covenant with them. Uh, that was a very effective mechanism, and it was uh, it was resilient in a way that previous religious traditions just weren't. But then, in first century Palestine. Uh, it was facing the reality of uh, of long term domination by others, you know. Like, oh, these Romans aren't going anywhere. How are we to live? And Christianity was is the answer to that. Christianity was to uh, open the covenant to all. Uh, but what that meant was changing your relationship, the way you perceive other people, uh, uh, making all of them members of a, a family, that's just children of God, everybody. Now, to do that, 
you either have to be a, a, a person who can strip themselves of all earthly desires, of all uh, uh, human uh, connections, to be Christ himself, to be a figure like Christ. Well, we're not Christ. We're fallen. We cannot be him. Uh, and so that means that we have to live as humans surrounded by uh, misery, exploitation, injustice, uh, a fundamental uh, alienation between people that occurs when you have a society based on hierarchy of uh, rights and of uh, exploitation of some by others. Like that is that is that is the snake in the fucking garden of human events. Is is that it's it's that curdled thing running through all human relationships. It's the domination that defines a social order. And if you're going to have a large number of people embracing Christianity, well, that means living as Christians, and that means abolishing those structures. Because they cannot, they cannot survive true Christian brotherhood. Anything else is something else. And that's what happened when Christianity was uh, absorbed by the Roman Empire. The early Christians attempted to live in common. Uh, and they were able to do so, you know, in, in, in small areas and temporarily. But uh, Christianity, if it was going to be a lived existence, required either an elevation of spirit or a radically changed social relationship. Because if you're just a regular person... If you aren't touched by God, but you do feel the connection that uh, God represents in you, and you have a, a you are drawn to it, as most of us are, then you will want to live in uh, harmony with others. And if a bunch of people want to live that way, then the social realities, the human nature shit that's supposed to require domination as the, as the basic uh, uh, relationship in a social order, that's dissolved. It's replaced by uh, the fact that you have people who literally don't want to do antisocial things. They don't want to harm one another. They don't want to violate rules because everyone is treating each other like a Christian, i.e., like they're in the description of heaven that, that God gives, or that uh, Jesus gives, that, that people imagine when they imagine heaven. Heaven can be made on earth, but only through the destruction of uh, domination. Because a community of people with a shared vocabulary of virtue not exploiting one another. That is the eschaton. That is the end of the world. That is the end of the world as we know it. That is the next world, the world to come, that is described uh, by Christ. (laughs) 
But once Christianity becomes the religion of power, then that uh, apocalypticism, which is, a, I would argue, a positive apocalypticism, an attempt to, to uh, reach a... Uh, to redefine, to break the, the, the bonds that hold us, uh, to, to redeem ourselves as members of a species that is fundamentally connected to a biosphere, like to, to, to live as, with, to repair the breach that exists between the human individual psyche and the uh, ecosystem that they're part of, which is what all religion seeks to do. But, but forgetting about what it is turned into and reified culturally, which is, of course, the opposite, because it's put to the use of maintaining social order, which is domination. The instinct, the thing that gets people to create it and follow it when there's no money in it and when there has not been re- it's not been reified by power, uh, is a real desire to heal that breach. And that early Christian desire is, I can either still live among people and suffer with them, but suffer in the knowledge, you know, that that uh, God, that Jesus has redeemed us and that by believing in him, I will go to heaven. And really believing that, if you really believed it, you could live amongst men. You could turn the other cheek. You could suffer. Or, if you don't have it in you to do that, you can live as Christians and therefore break reality. Of course, you can't really do that when you have the Roman Empire breathing down your neck and so you had Christianity's persecution. You have Christianity being a persecuted sect. And when that's the case, when you can't live as brothers, when you're compelled to live under the threat of death in this uh, misery pit, this slave society, uh, well, then you need a story to keep you going. And the story that you got was, this will all be over soon. Your faith will be rewarded in this life. That's the important thing. Because yes, but heaven is shmevin. Heaven gains its, I would argue, that heaven is a concept. Gains its depth and its, uh, its emotional resonance and its symbolic power uh, as Christianity becomes more and more connected to power, to reinforcing power. Becomes part, becomes integrated into a power structure. Because life on earth is increasingly under, under regimes of power, assumed to continue. That's why we're doing all this, to keep doing it. That's the only reason anything, anyone is in this thing is the belief that it will advantage them in this life. So, you're not going to get the apocalypse in life, uh, and you're not going to overcome the miseries and the sins of humans on this earth. You're going to get heaven. 
You're going to get all that stuff after you die. And in that intermediate space, that early Christian era, you had the apocalypticism of the book of Revelation. Don't worry, this is all going to be over. As many people have pointed out, the number of the beast is the Kabbalic number of the Emperor Nero, who was in the process of persecuting the shit out of the Christians when the book of Revelation was being written. And so those, that early apocalypticism is, is, the, is the yearning for that coming to blows. Now, of course, what ends up happening is individual Christians die, and they are either uh, affirmed in their faith or they aren't. One way or another, we don't get to know. We just keep going. And the faith of our community is what maintains our faith. That is the most important part, is that it is a community of believers and it is the actions of believers that reinforce the truth. And that is why early martyrdom is so important. So then Christianity becomes the state religion of the Roman Empire because the old justifications for power were losing their power. They were literally waning in their ability to command the minds of men. And way too many people at the base, and this is the important part, no many people at the base of this system were embracing this new religion. It had to be dealt with and it it got past the point where it could be persecuted away. So it had to be uh, absorbed into the system. And so that means that the apocalypticism of Christianity gets repressed, but only temporarily. And you will, I think that you can chart in the history of Christianity Uh, And post-Christianity, like Western secularism is just a type of Christianity in that it is the moral system of Christianity robbed of the supernatural, robbed of the the narrative that held it together. Uh, The stuff that was really only able to be believed by the center of gravity of the uh, population because of ignorance. So throughout that whole history, so you're talking, I would say, the rise of the medieval Christian church after, you know, you got the fall and everything, uh, a fall of, I'm talking about in, in, in uh, Western Europe, not, not the uh, Byzantines, they got their own thing going on, but in the, in the, in the West, uh, after the fall of Rome, you had this tumult, this, this process of, uh, Christianity started spreading across pagan Europe and, and conquering. Uh, and a lot, one of the things that helped make that happen uh, was the fact that the bureaucracy of the Roman Empire, which was varied and, and uh, deep and, and uh, a, a powerful social technology, didn't just completely uh, collapse with the Roman Empire. Those guys, those people still had their skills, they still had their relationships. 
They didn't just all decide to go farm, because who the fuck would do that? I mean, so civilization exists to avoid farming. Like, that's what... It started off... Civilization starts off as a uh, survival mechanism, a way to keep the group together in the face of changing uh, cl- uh, climactic conditions and, and, and outside forces, and eventually becomes a social, religious world, a shared universe premised on the idea of avoiding having to farm. The thing that makes this all possible, which is also the most tedious and unfree experience you can have as a human. Because you're, you are literally wedded to the land. And in doing it, you're doing manual labor, which is monotonous, repetitious, and physically painful. And you got to do it in all the weather. So those guys don't just go back farming. They become the bureaucracy of the emergent church. And they begin a top-down war, basically, on the uh, folk beliefs of uh, European uh, peoples, barbarians, basically. And, of course, former Roman subjects, who by that point had largely been Christianized, though. Uh, And they were the—it started usually with rulers who were forced to convert as uh, conditions of uh, military defeat. Or— chose to convert in order to uh, trade and and make deals. Uh, And then missionaries and uh, and civic enforcement turns folk paganism into Christianity. And that is what the early church is. It is a fusion of this apocalyptic cult of universal humanity that, of course, is in the... structure now of a uh, state-supporting institution uh, being fused to uh, the very particular grounded non-universal cosmology of European paganism. And you can very easily it can very it can be very truly said that like the Roman the Western Roman emperor was replaced by the pope. He had basically the same job, and you might say, well, he had vastly less uh, temporal power than uh, the Roman emperors. But if you take it not as this point where Roman power collapses, but as a point where it transitions, it's a natural withering away of power. And in the process of sort of protecting itself, it built up these, uh, the church built up these civic uh, institutions, like the Holy Roman Empire, like all the royal houses. These uh, hierarchies of power from amongst the the, the European tribal uh, population, sanctified now by this Christian God. That creates a fundamental schizophrenia at the heart of Christianity that expresses itself in periodic, punctuated period, uh, punctuated periods of apocalyptic fervor. And that is the history of Christianity from 
the Middle Ages to the present, is this imperial ideology, this ideology that exists to keep people slaving for others, to keep exploitation and domination at the heart of human relationships, but also tells people that all are brothers, that they are part of a community of believers, that uh, demands a a relationship to the world around them that if was followed by everybody the way that a community of believers you'd think would would not have domination would not have war would not have uh, sin as it was understood as uh, the, the, it would not have misery like we all believe in Christ and yet there is war we all believe in Christ and yet there is misery and suffering caused by Christians committed against other Christians How? How is this possible? And that contradiction fuels periodic upsurges of apocalyptic fervor, which are then violently expressed through revolts and uh, military actions and uh, every other sort of... uh, just physical violence pushed outward and inward somewhere to, to take this energy. Uh, and then it, after that it extinguishes itself and power remains or power has been transformed by it, an a, a order is reestablished for a while until it erupts. So in Europe, the first big one is unsurprisingly around the millennium. Christ was supposed to uh, bring back like literally like when Christ checks out he basically says to the apocalypse to the to the apostles to everyone reading he says you guys hang tight i'll be right back that's it that's what people thought it's been a thousand years and we finally got to the point around the turn of the millennium, where you have sufficient uh, buildup of, of civic structures, like uh, k- kinghoods uh, and uh, feudal structures that have like, real powerful day-to-day legitimacy. And therefore you have people who are within them and finding them wanting and horrible. And what this leads to is this explosion of uh, you see this explosion of fervor as people lose their patience basically. As they say as they look at the world and find evidence that it's going to happen soon and I will be saved by it. And then, of course, the question becomes, what can I do to bring it about? And, one of, and the big result of uh, the, the first big like millennial uh, apocalyptic uh, mania is that it, let, it, 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 was, it could be channeled by secular powers and by uh, the papacy towards the sort of proto-imperial project of the Crusades. Hey, we got all these riled up fucking peasants and restless second sons 
of the uh, nobility, what do we do about him? We'll send him to reclaim the Holy Land. Surely that will bring about the end of the world. Surely Christ's uh, Jerusalem, the holy city, city being reclaimed by, for Christ will bring him back. And so a bunch of fucking guys marched halfway across Europe uh, at the behest of a fucking hobo uh, preacher slaughtering uh, Jews as they went, of course, because that's another big component of millenniary Christianity, uh, and went and amazingly took back Jerusalem, which really is genuinely shocking when you think about how ramshackle and uh, unorganized the First Crusade was, but it was because they caught uh, the Arabs looking, really. Like, they were in the middle of one of their periodic conflicts over the caliphate, and they were all fighting each other. But this was not the only place where that er that uh, apocalypticism manifested itself. Uh, you had in Europe, you had the Cathars, who rejected the idea that Christ had been resurrected. They denied the uh, humanity of God, of Christ. And uh, they ended up being the subject of their own crusade, and they got slaughtered. In fact, it was during the massacre of the Cathars that uh, a, the cardinal overseeing the uh, battle uh, said, kill them all, God will know his own. Uh, and... It was because the Cathars tried to live in common. They tried to bring about that eschaton by actually living as Christians, which could not be allowed. And then you've got uh, the real apocalypse that these people were waiting for and fighting for and struggling in the Middle East for. They actually finally got it in the 14th century, and it was the Black Death. It was the fucking Black Death. Half the population of Europe destroyed. Feudalism, otherwise known as the world as they knew it, genuinely destroyed. What came after the Black Death is a feudalism in uh, transition and crisis. Basically, uh, the second it establishes itself. And so you have this uh, this period where, because of the huge number of deaths and because uh, of how much land that freed up, because feudalism at, before the Black Death was had reached a final, like a real a material stalemate. It was in a situation where uh, there could be no more improvement under feudalism's conditions of agriculture, because you had this pure peasant-based system where there was no 
I wouldn't even, there was no incentive, there was no coercive technology to make people improve their land. There was nothing, there was no social reality, there was no social structure, human or or market-based or religiously inspired, to make people produce enough fucking food to do this sort of uh, um, population revolution necessary uh, to build a technological society uh, or to even allow feudalism to continue under its own conditions. Like it could not even maintain itself because there just wasn't enough left to feed every fucking fourth born noble. Uh, there wasn't enough land to give to uh, th- th- all those people, you know, because they kept reproducing themselves. And the church was a big part of where that uh, excess uh, royal, or I'm sorry, excess uh, noble uh, population would go. Not everybody can inherit the castle and, and, the, and the manor. Uh, the, the ecclesiastical hierarchy was a place for those second and third born aristocratic sons to also whole power and wealth. There was nowhere for him to go. And, and, and uh, the conditions of agriculture couldn't allow for it either. And the Black Death came, knocked the whole thing over, wiped out so many people that uh, agricultural labor became much scarcer, but the amount of land much improved. Uh, expanded, and that gave everybody the uh, f- the freedom to move. Like literally, it greased the skids. It allowed uh, rural peasants to negotiate better conditions uh, under which they worked, uh, uh, better rents from landlords, better uh, obligations to their feudal lords, uh, and land itself was easier to come by and could be parceled out one way or the other, or purchased. And that creates this social scramble. All of this, of course, while we're all supposed to be Christians, we're all Christians here, and yet we are fucking murdering one another uh, and scamming one another to get it over on each other in this new, uh, more fluid social order. And this is when you see the uh, real explosion of uh, uh, urban population in Europe. And you have also a uh, very warm century after the Black Death that leads to bumper fucking crops, that leads to a century of very, uh, um, a a century of wildly uh, successful agricultural yields and harvests without anybody having to change the way that they farmed. Just because the, the conditions were better. And so you had this huge explosion of population and this huge move of populations into cities. And remember, everybody's supposed to be a Christian this whole time. And then around uh, 1500, people start to get antsy again. In part because there is a line in the Bible about, uh, you know, uh, the next generation and a half or something like that which people took to mean uh, 1,500 years after uh, the death, the birth of Christ. Uh, and this time, though, when everyone's getting antsy, and remember, since the Cathars, there have been the uh, Lollards in England, uh, and of course, the most successfully, the Hussites in uh, Bohemia, 
who were able to carve out their own ultraquist faith uh, after battling the Holy Roman Empire to a standstill. Uh, and they, like, Jan Hus was uh, a proto-Luther. I mean, he, he did what Luther did, too. They both published uh, dissent from the Catholic Church. They both got called to a, uh, a council uh, with the Pope under uh, a pledge that they will not be harmed uh, and the different, and then went in front of the Pope and said what they believed. The difference is that with Hus, they just said, uh, psych, and burned him anyway. With Luther, Charles V, let him go. Uh, and then, I, th- I think with the assumption that they'd get him later, but then his patron abducted him in a phony kidnapping as he was leaving the Diet of Worms uh, and rescued him and, and made sure that by the time he got out of there, uh, civic authority behind Lutheranism would be dominant in like parts of Europe, parts of Germany that he could live in. But anyway, so that's where you get the Reformation. Because unlike those previous times, you have the printing press, and you have the rise of mass literacy. And you have the creation of new ways of thinking, literally new abstracted uh, identity, an, a, a, a different mental landscape, one that is more interior than previous ones had been, one that is less validated and ratified by social life. It's in the head, literally. Uh, And the Reformation explodes out of that. And the Reformation is a process to bring about that apocalypse, which everyone assumed was going to happen. And that's why the Protestants were so carefree about shredding a social fabric that had been fundamental, like was a load-bearing structure of of society, without anything to replace it, because they thought they didn't need to replace it. They thought that them, by moving towards righteousness, they would create heaven on earth one way or another. Either God will, Jesus will return, revelation will occur, uh, or if you're the smaller groups, like the Mennonites and the, uh, and the what later became the Amish, and of course most spectacularly uh, the Anabaptists of Munster, Attempts to live communally, to bring uh, the eschaton, to emanatize the eschaton yourself. And Luther and the more conservative Protestants said no, nuh-uh, because they liked where they were. They liked their position as comfortable, well-fed, and Luther was well-fucking-fed. The fucking Reformation did him, uh, did his uh, tummy... Favors Like he, if you look at paintings of the young Luther and then after he got married and had been writing for like a 10 years or so, that dude chonked up. He married an ex-nun who was a great cook and he'd just sit around and just scarf all day long sitting at the fire. Of course he has no reason to see the social order destroyed. So when uh, a religiously inspired peasant's revolt occurs uh, in 1822... He, or, I'm sorry, in 1522, he denounces it. He says, no, no, that's not what we mean. But this cycle is driven by the fundamental schizophrenia. Like, we are supposed to be in a Christian brotherhood, and yet we all act like this. Now, the thing that kept it day-to-day the glue together 
in the medieval era is the social ritual. It is mass. It is communion. It is all those sacraments. It is those actions. It is those socially affirmed uh, activities that happen no matter what. And it is, in Northern Europe anyway, the concept of purgatory. The idea that nobody's in hell, so you don't have to worry about that. Like, like that is one of the big things that dro- I think drives, that drove early uh, Protestant social mania, is the fact that these guys convinced themselves that they were going to go to hell, when nobody else really thought that before them. Regular people did not worry about going to hell. Because if they went to church and they got communion once every year or whatever, and they confessed to the friar, they wouldn't go to hell. Now, they might go to purgatory, roast on a spit for a while, but it's temporary. And your family, while you're dead, can do something to speed along your uh, redemption. Protestantism created a, a world with the same physical miseries and exploitations and suffering and alienations uh, uh, that it existed under uh, the papacy, but removed that social cell that was reinforced by all of those sacraments. Makes everybody freaked the fuck out. It makes everybody anxious. And of course, this is a context now when just around the same time the people start thinking the world is ending, that warm period ends. And while people fight over religion for the course of the 15th century, this warm period is slowly ending. So you have two centuries of this religious war that is, I mean, in the minds of the people fighting it is religious, even though it's, of course, not. It's there, too. It's, it's, it's power. Power by one group or another. That's what is driving the whole thing always. But with the mask of this religious idea that has to be synthesized, that has to be reconciled. And that is what everyone is doing with, with their violence and their posts uh, and their witch burnings, is they're trying to reconcile that. And I would argue that the, the secular modernity is the ongoing process culturally, like in terms of why people inter- do interact, why people consciously interact with the system, not why they're doing it, uh, why they're actually doing it. Why, how, why, how, what the story they tell themselves, the cultural world that they create, is an attempt to reconcile that notion. Universal uh, ethic, ethical principles the promise of a world beyond misery in a world where we are all brothers in that we all believe the same thing and therefore act accordingly. Because you can't really believe in Christianity at the top of the totem pole that we have. You have to have what you think in your head is Christianity, but is actually Satan worship. You have inverted, if you're at the top of the potent pole of power, anywhere near the top of the totem pole of power in a Christian world, you have to turn for your own deeper material interests 
which you don't even can't even interrogate. You have to transmogrify ritually Christianity into Satanism. And it's been that Satanism that has driven the ship of state under capitalism since its inception. Because what what capitalism was, what capitalism was, was the apocalyptic synthesis of these at the uh, level of the material. The apocalyptic synthesis of these things is always destruction, is annihilation, imaginatively, right? Because... This cannot be resolved, and therefore we it, we must be destroyed. Like we can either, if we can't fix the, if we cannot have this resolved, we will be destroyed. That's why we put it off into the other world. That's why we imagine it's it's heaven. But of course, since we killed God in the nineteenth century, it has not been heaven for a long time. Nobody really believes in heaven in the West. Not in this. What I mean by that is that they don't believe in it enough to not allow the miseries of living under a system of domination, either as an oppressor or as the oppressed. Uh, They don't believe it enough to stop that from twisting them towards selfishness, twisting them away from their their instinctive understanding of unity, and, and therefore their faith in God, their faith that, yes, when you die, it's fine. It's not scary. It doesn't hurt. And it ends in the thing that heaven was always supposed to end in. Reunion with God. It's there. It's there for everybody. That is the gospel. And it's true regardless of whatever religion you believe. It is fundamentally a fact. We all go to heaven. Because what are you really scared of? You're scared of fantasy, of losing control, of your illusory Ego construction, and, and it is, it's physical extensions into the world. And if you really believe that, you wouldn't do bad shit. I mean, exploit people if you're in power, but also take out your frustration and your misery of being oppressed on other people if you're uh, on the other end of the boot. That knowledge would sustain you. You'd be able to live at peace. None of us can do that. Because we don't believe in anything anymore. So that means that we can only follow the algorithm of capitalism towards its apotheosis, which is to, yes, change the world, to fundamentally alter the world the way that the Christians said it would be. But the twist here is because this has been programmed by a satanic Christianity, It's not creating heaven. It's creating the other one. It's creating hell. We're literally creating, I hate to say it, a geo-hell. But the the reason that book's title sticks with me five years later is because it's perfect. Whatever else you want to say about him or about the book, the name geo-hell is perfect because it perfectly describes what capitalism creates. And in religious terms, which is necessary. Because as I was saying, Christianity at the spiritual level, at the level of like belief in an afterlife, has a fundamental crisis of, conf- of, uh, of self-awareness that starts with the Reformation, 
that ends with uh, the triumph of the Enlightenment in the 19th century. And, and over that process, public faith is extinguished. And it is, but the whole time that's happening, the whole time public faith is being extinguished, it is being extinguished by the rise of capitalism. The emergence of capitalism as a dominant social form literally wipes Christianity, public faith, out of existence and replaces it with faith in the market. And the way it, and and this happens because, as I said, fundamental crisis of capital of of the mind of society of Western European society, right? Starting with the Reformation, as I said, cannot be resolved. Well, it has to be resolved at the material level, right? Because people still have to keep doing things. But if religion isn't going to get them to do the things. Religion isn't going to get them to man the spots they need to be in the circulatory machinery that built, that creates like the economy, that creates cultures, the civilization, broadly speaking. If you're not going to get them to do it because of uh, a narrative they've told themselves about an, a, a place other than Earth, then you have to tell them a story about their reality here. You have to bring them closer to the grindstone. And the way you do that... is by abstracting out of the realm of agency, human activity, the, compul- the compulsive mechanism of, the econ- of economy, the compulsive mechanism, mechanism of social control. To take the stick, right? And take the stick that is held by religion, Right, because it's carrot and stick to get you to do things. The carrot and stick are both held by the hand of the state in the form of the sword of the of the lord and the uh, or of the landlord of, of the baron of the count of the of the aristocrat and the the cross of the of the of the uh, priest. That's the carrot and stick. But you cannot. But the carrot doesn't work if the stick is too deeply felt, because then you realize. This cannot be a Christian world I live in. What capitalism does to solve that problem, without anybody knowing that's what's happening, everybody else is fighting uh, for their own self-interest cloaked in uh, social beliefs. The combination of, of identity mo- motivating identity mo- uh, elements, the things within them that make them do things, which are things like personal self-interest, but are not just that. They're also self-conception. And that self-conception is socially generated. So that's why you can't just say that there's naked self-interest, because someone's self-interest isn't just what their body wants in some abstract sense. What want is is socially defined. Not entirely, but partially. Like, being hungry is not socially defined. But being something, but feeling like you're a Christian or that you have honor... Those are socially defined, and they mean things to people. That's the important part. So they're all fighting for self, their self-interest uh, in those terms. And they destroy Europe in the 15th and 1600s doing this. And meanwhile, in little old England, off, off in the corner, they're building a new social order 
where the carrot is still there in the form of the direct relationship you have with, uh, or I mean, the, the, the awareness you have uh, of the positives of living in a society, right? Because you have to have most people being like, well, this is better than living in the forest. Because at this point, that's a real option. So you have to have a thing that keeps people rooted. And what it is is, look, this, this, this suck, but these are okay. I got a roof over my head. I have food. I have relative safety. Because the alternative is less of those things. So that stick is, that carrot is still there in the hand of this state broadly confined, the, the secular state. But the stick, the stick of if you don't do this, you will be, or up, the stick of the stuff that I produce with my sweat, I don't get to consume, somebody else does, and they get to order me around, and they make me fight on behalf of them. All of that stuff, over time, becomes marketized. We can no longer assign uh, blame in our own heads without even aware of it. Ideologically, we are no longer blaming the social order, our fellow citizens, people, for, why we, uh, uh, for the bad things in our life. We are now blaming this new secularized God. Now, at first, it was actually God, like those Puritan freaks who kick-started uh, capitalism in England. They wanted to build this uh, natural mechanism for determining God's favor because they were successful members of the cap- burgeoning capitalist merchant class. They were invested in the new capitalist order, but they still believed. They still believed in God. They still believed in Christianity as they understood it which still was in deep conflict with the world that they saw around them. And since they had given up the idea of uh, reforming God on earth, uh, uh, reforming the, the, the ones who gave up on the idea of reforming uh, God's kingdom and making it come into accord with God's uh, lordly world that will bring about apocalypse, in Europe, they went to do it in America. And eventually some of them did it in Europe too with the English Civil War. But the English Civil War ended with not the apocalypse. They cut the king's head off. Surely that's going to bring it about. Didn't happen. All you had was bad harvests and feuds and just the same old bullshit, which is why they ended up bringing in uh, back the Stuarts and then finally uh, had a leveraged buyout with the uh, other big merchant republic of that era, or the other merchant, um, uh, the other like advanced merchant society in of the time, which is uh, the Netherlands, and bring in finally the uh, William of Orange to preside over this new uh, social structure, this new constitutional monarchical system, where uh, that royal prerogative that was grounded in genuine religious belief in his placement at the top of a godly hierarchy is. Uh, replaced by the self-interest of a bunch of uh, paper pushers in London. And they get to determine what's going on, not the fucking king. The king just has to watch it all happen. And what they do is they overtake the whole world. And slowly over time, uh, that godly world that the uh, Puritans thought they were going to build in New England is turned into another commercial 
operation and the domination that was supposed to be absent creeps in and eventually uh, the social, the ritual reaffirmation of uh, our belief that is necessary for us to hold God in our hearts because it is, because faith is not rational, you know? If, if rationality is the only language you speak in, if abstraction is the only language you speak because you have lost the social reaffirming idea, uh, rituals of faith, because if, you can't, if it's not rational, it's felt. And it is not felt by, alone. Not by us, anyway. It could have been in past instances felt alone. But for us, it can only really be felt in those uh, emotional moments of human interaction and, and human connection. Because what we're feeling when we feel unity, when we feel connection, is a deep and fundamental truth. It's as true as anything. It is the truth of, it's the beautiful truth that, uh, that uh, Keats talked about. And as I said, it is our uh, ultimate salvation. It's the fact that we are, every single one of us, going to be reunited. And in being reunited, we will understand and the, uh, the anxiety of loss of our fictional identity is soothed to the degree that we understand it can be soothed. Or is that Byron? I don't know. One of those uh, opium-smoking freaks. But it can't be articulated. We lose it in, in symbols. Because symbols are instruments of differentiation. We, it's ways of us to define things down from totality. So that means that there is a fundamental latency in every interaction, every symbolic exchange of, of information. A, a, uh, we lose... With every symbolic reduction, meaning, and by the time we get it out to ourselves, it is now an abstraction that has to be reaffirmed. It cannot be held in the mind. And then when we try to communicate it to others, we lose even more. And that is why any, that's why it is silly to talk about religion being good or bad. It's, a, it's, it's, it's not, it's, religion is, is, the basis of human civil, uh, is human self-conception. Like, we are all, at the end of the day, God. In that, we preside over a mental universe that is all-encompassing and total and cannot be penetrated. Ugh. That's why we all freak out about the idea of death, because it is literally the end of the universe. But we are all that at the same time. And our understanding of that universe is not ours. It is made by every other person and by every other thing. It has no independent existence. That is illusory. And that illusion, the harder we hold it, the more we uh, are pulled away from our understanding 
and, and the more scared we get. And the more of the time we have on earth we're going to spend in some state of anxiety and fear that is only going to get stronger as we get closer to actual death. And then that means that our death itself will be far more painful and scary. Scary more important than painful because the pain of is always absorbable by the body. It is how it's understood afterwards. And that is the fear. The fear at the other end is it. But that also is temporary. And that truth exists no matter what. And religion is just the attempt by people trapped in time and space with certain symbolic languages to find a symbolic uh, order, a structure of symbols that other people can understand so that they understand that the thing you're thinking of is what they're thinking of, you know? The feeling that you're describing is the feeling that they're describing. And that means that with that locked in, with that understanding in place, you can act to that person in a way that is free of fear. You're not going to be afraid that they're going to take something from you. You're going to be able to trust them. Like Nazis love to freak out about uh, high trust and low trust societies, and they think that it's racially based. No, it is as everything generated by the relationship of domination. It falls along racial uh, lines first because uh, when we're trying to get to that state of love of another person where there is no fear, uh, there is a degree of instinctive uh, uh, understanding. And, and racial caste in America is this stark symbolic reality that imposes on all of us and makes it much harder for us to conceptually cross the chasm. But it's universal. Like, lack of trust is, is the solvent of, of, a ca of all systems of domination, but certainly one in decay and certainly one like Catholicism or capitalism that, didn't, that is premised on this, as I said, suicidal destruction of the universe or the earth that uh, will create this segregated hell on earth where people are shattered into full isolation from one another, in the, psychically and technologically. While the earth itself is literally burned. And the thing that is pushing against that, the thing that came into being uh, in the mid-19th century that Karl Marx was at the birth of and therefore could express was the secular expression of that religious, that Western religious uh, impulse. If, we, if there is no heaven, which we now all are slowly realizing. No heaven that we can sustain and believe in enough in a day-to-day -day basis to give us solace. Well, then we have to do something about the world we live in so that we can spend the time we have on this planet as pleasurably as possible and pleasurable in the Epicurean sense, not at the expense of others, which all pleasure is under uh, systems of domination but mutual, loving pleasure, which is in our capacity. What other uh, struggle is there other than that? And that is, that's the engine of, of, uh, of 
socialism. That is the that is the religious basis of socialism. And of course, that's what's was so stupid when people say wokeness is a religion. No shit, everything is a religion. It's just that now because faith has de- departed us, we only we only have the structures, and those structures connected to uh, a de- an idea of political struggle that replaces the spiritual struggle. And so we seek to make that real. Now, at the height of the uh, labor movement, the thing that was really motivating it was not the abstract uh, desire of these post-religious esthetes, which we all are now, to make the world a better place as an act of self uh of self-actualization. That, those people are overwhelmingly prevalent at the top of left-wing and socialist movements because of their superior access to te- technology of rule, of, of, of education. The, 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 if, if the battle uh, to wield power in a literate society is based on the ability to bring together people, then communication is one of the most important abilities to have. And that is something that is parceled out only at the top of the uh, economic structure by design. Those people are providing theory and they're uh, being leadership. They're certainly uh, prevalent to be found in the political uh, class. But the real engine of the thing is the self-interest of workers whose lives suck, who do not experience domination as guilt. They experience it as the rage of the exploited. And they say, hey, if there's no heaven, then Jesus fucking Christ, can I get a few more days off to spend with my family? For the love of fucking Christ. And it was those two forces that pushed uh, and every society, every uh, post-industrial society of the West uh, towards uh, some reckoning with its, uh, uh, its economic order. And then what you see in World War II is... After capitalism enters like deep, deep crisis, like European capitalism, which is to say world capitalism at that point, basically that them plus the U.S. and like Argentina, uh, and maybe Japan, uh, is in like a it comes to a fundamental crisis, like another another moment of apocalypse, but this time. It is much more uh, materially driven uh, in the sense that it is, you've now got a point where you're no longer operating by human will, you're operating by the machine logic of capitalism, which means that it overproduces to, uh, uh, and then destroys resources uh, within a fixed system to the point where it can no longer distribute uh, 
Uh, it can no longer relieve social pressures as they build within it. It can no longer soothe the mechanism. The oil, it, it, it's no longer oiled. What oils it is imperialism, but it wasn't moving fast enough for, uh, for all of the rapidly exacerbating social conflicts that are arising out of this misery that is being imposed. The, 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 the ripping away of the serfs and peasants from their land, which is their subsistence, their understanding of the world, the ripping away of artisanal autonomy from urban laborers. Hell, ripping away uh, the authority of kings. Because this whole time, all these compromises are being made. All these forces are being unleashed by lords to keep their power. Meanwhile, they're losing it bit and bit and have to accede to the loss in order to defeat all the other, to order to maintain their, uh, their battle to be able to make, to to prevent being defeated by the other competing European powers. And so it's you have an explosion. And in that in the aftermath of that explosion of World War One, you have a religious battle within the ha- top half, the middle half of uh, the or the the top the middle of the top half of the exploiter caste about whether there is a universal or there is only a particular. And communism was the image, was the idea of the universal, the, the, the uh, pursuit of apocalypse through universality, and then there is uh, Nazism, which is the, that peasant, that pagan, that pagan uh, particularism, right, that uh, Christianity got fused on top of, Fascism is its reemergence. Fascism is the reemergence of that uh, pagan particularism that had been synthesized by uh, feudalism, and then had been essentially bought off by capitalism. But then was coming into in the in the context of a depression, a, a, a secular decline in conditions that refused the possibility of advancement in this world. You see the flight towards an apocalyptic conflict between particular and the universal. And the only reason it doesn't lead to the end of civilization is because there are other places that have synthesized their conflicts. And the United States, because of its free real estate and its slave economy, is able to offload so much of the actual miseries of building capitalism outside of the social World, the social reality, the universe as, as uh, occupied by those people who actually build the thing, the farmers, the industrial laborers, the middle class, it means you don't get, you have those same pressures, but they don't come to an apocalyptic head. And you have FDR as this figure who stands to uh, between them and synthesizes them. And then they are, then that, then that, that synthesis of the European mind is stabilized by, now that the free real estate has been fully uh, absorbed, by the creation of a world market after World War II. Oh, we're the only industrial power in the world left. There's an entire world to reshape. And asylum, we can be the, uh, the, we can be the powerhouse of the global economy. We will be where things are manufactured. We will be, where things are consumed. We will pass things through like the, the, the circulatory system and be at both ends of the exchange. 
and be able to distribute those resources and, and put aside these questions. And now we have reached another apocalyptic conflict within capitalism. You could argue that it started uh, in the uh, 1910s and that this is just a continuation of it the same way that the uh, the cycle that began with the Reformation didn't end until the Treaty of Westphalia. This is the same, we are in the same cycle that started with uh, World with uh, World War One and is now reaching another reckoning of some kind. But the difference is now there is no engine of oppression animating politics in the United States. There is only the uh, neurotic world of the uh, exploiter. There is only a civil war in the mind of the American middle class. And the rest of us are basically watching it. Even the, even the uh, actual economic decisions are not being made by people. Like Even at the top of the food chain, they're watching it. Donald Trump watched his entire presidency. Uh, George, Joe, Joe Biden isn't even watching his presidency. He's sleeping in front of the TV. The decisions are being made uh, algorithmically. Because that's what we did. We took civilization, a thing that was defined by a human endeavor where technology was used by humans towards certain ends to a situation where civilization is technology using humans to its own encoded ends, which were put there by people enthralled by this death cult, Western capitalist profit-seeking. Okay, does any of that make sense? And so that is why, if there is a future for, I won't even say capitalism, I will say whatever techno-feudal uh, order will replace capitalism under conditions of collapse, long-term slow collapse, like where I said, where it's a transition, where at the other end of it, you don't have, there's no point where it's like, oh, this is the end of the world. You're, you're just, you've turned around, all of a sudden you're in a different thing, but you never noticed as things shifted around you, which I think you could argue was how the Roman Empire fell. It was largely experienced by many people in it, not as some apocalyptic ending, but as a hey, we don't get the mail anymore type of situation. But otherwise, the same life. And I think that's what you're going to see. It will not be headquartered here. It can't be. The United States, because it is, it is captive to this mania, can only consume itself. That particular list and uh, universal principle is, uh, it cannot be resolved. So we will only destroy ourselves. 
if there's a place in the world where capitalism arrived late enough, you guys know where I'm getting with this, uh, late enough and in a condition not of uh, national domination, but of national exploitation, then their assimilation of capitalism on top of their peasant communalism, their secular communalism, remember, because they don't have this big weight of uh, spiritual ennui and existential angst that has to be addressed because their uh, their religious traditions are uh, more culturally reaffirmed. They're not abstractly reaffirmed. So that means... And so that's got to be, I got, folks, we're talking about China. We're talking about China. And I, again, when I say that that will, that will be where it's headquartered, that doesn't mean that that is, means China is our saviors. It means that if we assume that the total and complete collapse of human institutions would be a bad thing and a setback, then... The thing the, the, uh, the social structure that exists currently that will be most likely to uh, bring that about will be China. It will not be us. And it will not be the working class. Now you can honestly, imagining what that will look like, what that surviving human civilization will look like, you might very well decide that collapse would be better. Like cuz at least collapse gives you the chance after the for the people who emerge later to uh maybe be able to pick and choose from the rubble and not have the uh history of dead generations weighing on their head like a nightmare for eternity, which would be the case under any persistent regime. So that's why I think, like, the China savior question is, like many of these, silly. Because we're not talking about building communism. We're talking about maintaining human civilization. And I honestly, I don't, I don't want to get people to think that I'm a super climate doomer anyway. I think that's more likely to happen, significantly more likely to happen, to the point that freaking out about it is probably beside the point. And even if it isn't, what are you going to do? Are you going to freak out or are you going to figure out, you're going to make some accommodation with the world around you and then some reason to keep going and then do it? Now, that could be climate terrorism. But you have to ask yourself, is that something that feels like it's coming from a place of love or does it feel like it's coming from a place of nihilistic hate? And if it's hate, then guess what? It's probably the wrong thing to do. You're probably doing it to feed your own political ego and to feed your own narcissistic need to be at the end of the world that we're all fighting against. But if China is able to uh, do this, it'll be because there's, the social order is capable of actually reprogramming the machine. They can organize amongst themselves sufficiently to intervene in the gears. Capitalism has mushed us the way that it emerged so much. The people who are in it at every level are so deeply ideologically conditioned to the point that even if they recognize the machine falling apart in front of them, 
the stuff they would do to fix it would only make it worse. That's what we're basically at now because they don't know what to do. They only know the opposite of what to do because they've been conditioned by the machine to do what the machine wants them to do, which is keep it going. So even there, there is no amount of things that can happen. There is no amount of, uh, of signs of apocalypse that can emerge from our uh, collapsing ecosystem that will get them at the top to do anything about it. Because anything that would actually do something about it is against their programming. It's like how uh, RoboCop can't arrest Dick Jones. Holy shit, it is like that, isn't it? It's an exact parallel. That is capitalism. We are not, we are RoboCop. We are programmed. The difference is there's nobody to fire Dick Jones. Maybe there was in 1989. Now, Dick Jones is the machine. Dick Jones is the algorithm. So that means they can go, do everything in their power to stop the slide towards apocalypse, and they will only make it worse. I would say, I'd say that the hope that human institutions, again, if it's a hope, if it's a thing we should want, which I think is up in the air, and the real question we should ask ourselves, uh, it'll be because the Chinese Communist Party, as a self-motivated uh, group of humans who have an ideological understanding of themselves and their place in the world and what they want, can look at capitalism and actually do something to reduce its uh, death drive to, and to eventually replace all the parts within it that lead to that. But of course, as I said, all that does is get you to this new system that is post-capitalist. Because when I'm saying they're going in there to change things, I don't mean they're necessarily going in there to turn things socialist. And I think that's what a lot of people assume. They're going to turn things towards survival, towards necessity. And that is where the fact that they are a capitalist country and their structures are capitalist, their social relationships are capitalist, undermines them. Because at that point... What do we do about this? If you do not have active, powerful social forces pushing you in one direction, then the answer might not be socialism. It might be techno-feudalism, which we're already seeing exists in, 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 in advanced, uh, in imminent form, and we'll see it expanded. But the X factor in all of this is actual workers. Here, in China, everywhere, coming towards an understanding of themselves as political actors again. Not doing it through the structures that we have built and that we are captured by, all of us watching this, but through building new ones in the act of pursuing power. Not to soothe their uh, fucked up American Protestant psyche, which is what all of us are doing, but to improve their lives. I only have so much time on this earth. I want to spend it loving, and I can't do that 
I'm working 80 hours a week with psychos coughing in my face. I I can't do it if I'm picking fucking uh, shit out of a dumpster. I can't do it if I'm running for my life from a fucking uh, climate tsunami. And what has to happen is that those individual pursuits of self-interest can come together. Now, this is the reason that I am so emphatically against the discourse as a place for people to put their political energy. Because I'm fully convinced, this is like my sacrament, this is my number one belief about about politics, is that is that these social forms, symbols, language, structures that currently exist in our political realm, Democrat, Republican parties, and then the surrounding uh, political uh, formations and ideas around them, the left, the right, uh, are fully detached from material conditions. And I mean fully. So that any attempt to organize workers that depends on them will be fatally undermined by the neurotics at the top, by the crooks and freaks at the top, by the self-interested predators and the neurotic uh, puritans at the top. But that doesn't mean that there is no place for action. Action goes at the level of the self. And, and self-interest, self-interest defined collectively, not abstractions, not through abstractions, but through, what was I saying? That social ritual, the reaffirming action. We all want this thing for us individually, but working together will get it for all of us. That builds a social bond. And then the act of that pursuing that builds the need to extend to other people to, to, uh, to increase the effectiveness of our action. And every interaction that that struggle will have with our politics, our vocabulary of politics, our spectacle of politics, only serves to warp it. Because it introduces irrelevant shit. Because none of that stuff matters. Because all of those questions, at the end of the day, are questions that exist for people who are observing it as part of their s- ritual of self-absolution uh, uh, to find out if they're good or bad people. Am I elect or not? Let's check. I'm going to observe these people doing something and then pick a side. And then the other people telling me I'm right, the other people in my group that I've identified as right, agreeing with me, means that I'm a good person. And then I can tell them that publicly. This is all just the Puritans trying to uh, build that private heaven that they can't really believe in through repeated and repeated public affirmations. Because they can't believe in it. Because it's abstract. Because it's not socially reinforced. That means that the structures, the uh, cultural expressions, and the political machinery that is made by that struggle will not involve any of those people, any of that vocabulary. And that means it will not be part of the Democratic Party, that's for fucking sure, or the fucking Republican Party. Good fucking Christ. 
It will neither be Democrats nor Republicans. It might not be any party. A party might be part of it, like an actual, like, go up for elections political party might be part of it, or not. It depends on the conditions. Like, if the Democrats really do lose the ability to uh, test for power at the national level, they will be in, like, a Whig-like death spiral. And it's amazing. They're in the process of allowing it to happen by not passing their uh, package of voting reform shit. Which is what I mean when I say that in this system now, we are so uh, ideologized that no one can act in their best interests by any in any sense. They they are they see through this glass darkly. Like if 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 U.S. hegemony is to be preserved, then capitalism has to be significantly reined in in the near term. For American capitalism to be reined in in the near term, you need the Democratic Party. I'm saying in the near term. Anybody who says the Democratic Party can be replaced tomorrow is an idiot. As you're talking about a decades-long process. What I'm saying is, like, what people fantasized Biden would have been, or what people dreamed Bernie would have been. Like, a real full-court press at the top of the political uh, and, and cultural heights for conflict with capitalism. For that to happen, the Democratic Party has to be able to win an election. Because they're the ones on the ballot line, that is still where the uh, that that is where the vestigial loyalty of the working class qua class existed, and that cannot be denied. People can argue that it's been squandered in the past thirty years by the Democrats completely, but it is the only place where any vestigial loyalty along those lines lays. The Republicans have none, and that is why they're even more laughable a, a, a reservoir of this uh, than elsewhere. Not, and again, what I'm saying is this is not going to happen. I have to very much stress, there will be no reckoning with capitalism from within the Democratic Party. I'm describing why there won't be. So that means that within this structure, it is in the best interest of Democrats. As Democrats, not as leftists, not as, any, as good people or bad people, as Democrats, to pass ta- this shit quickly. But to do that, because of the margins, would require reforming the filibuster undermining the individual power of individual senators. And these guys have been so ideologized that their understanding of their self-interest is narrowly their personal, most personal self-interest. And so they would rather allow the Democratic Party to lack it, to lose the ability to compete for national power. And their and power, like actual power, money comes from that. Like even if you're a total slime bag Democrat, Money comes along with this. Losing the ability to fundraise, for God's sakes. But they're more committed to their individual power within the institution of the Senate. So they they can't get it to happen. They can't make it happen. And then even if they did pass it, they wouldn't be able to use it. Because for the Democratic Party to do the thing I said, it would have to go head-to-head with its own donors, the people with actual power within it, at a time when its base is conditioned by them through media. The Democratic base is conditioned through the media to hate Republicans, hate and fear Republicans enough to do anything to avoid them to be in power. And also, 
have an understanding of what's good, bad, what's smart, and what's dumb that is manufactured by the Democratic Party through its organs in the media. That's why it's not going to be the U.S. But we're still here, and we still have to struggle, and we still have to give our lives meaning in the sense of we have to turn towards love, turn towards that deeper knowledge that we've been trying our entire life to articulate, that we are all connected, that we don't need to be so fucking scared of each other. We don't need to be scared of anything. We sure shit don't need to have to be scared of losing a few... uh, creature comforts in our lives. I'm talking about the Democrats, idiot. This person's talking about Trump in 2006. It's completely different with the Republicans because they're not the vestigially working class party. They don't have to have the same internal checks that the Democrats have because Trump never threatened any of the prerogatives of the Republican Party. Dumbass. Sorry. But I'm specifically talking about the Republican Party or Democratic Party. I just said all that stuff about love and then I called the guy a dumbass for 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 uh for a, a earnest interaction. I'm very sorry. See, this is why this is why you need a society that can reaffirm your best angels because otherwise you are dominated by your satanic Faith in your own individuality, because this is why I say all existence is religion. Your identity is not real. And this is why no one is more wrong than Ayn Rand, because her first premise is that you are real, like your your, uh, ego concept is a real thing. It's not. But that is what it is she describes there, what Ayn Rand is good for is that she describes the what we have in 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 capitalism instead of a uh, a spiritual morality we have this secular morality which says because there's nothing but this world my experience my sense perceptions throughout my life the world i have in my head is the only thing and therefore i am god and therefore i am the only thing in the universe And if you're the only thing in the universe, death is just a terrifying, non-conceivable thing. Death is this pit of your stomach, nausea, terror. How can the world end? How? It's terrifying. And we have to do something with that terror. If we're not going to confront it, because confronting it, the only way out is through. The only way to soothe that demon, to soothe that, that cold feeling is to remember the deeper real truth that you aren't real. You're not real. Now, your your body is real. This stuff is real. Your life is happening. But you is this phantom temporary structure that moves it around. And eventually, it will go somewhere else. That energy will go somewhere else. And your transition, this is the important part, your transition will be peaceful. 
Your transition will not be the horror, the mind-rending horror that you imagine it to be because you're imagining it in life. You're imagining it on this side of the fucking curtain. You can only imagine it as terror turned into hellfire, turned imaginatively into an eternity in hell because you cannot conceive of the end of this you. But if it is a transition, if you are transitioning into something else and it is experienced as a transition, then all that fear that you're having doesn't have to be, uh, can be confronted. And if you confront it and neutralize it, then you don't need to do all the things that make us awful people. You don't need to do the things that we all think we need to do. And which collectively is what's going to destroy the world because we are all trying to find happiness through temporary assuaging of our existential anxiety. And the only way we can do that is by having fun, having a good time. And the only real way we can do that is by pursuit of material pleasure, which is at this point, this late point in history purchased on a market. And it is our actions on that market that keep everyone moving. That's the wind blowing through uh, the fucking um, the wind chimes and making them move. Is is everybody is, is the hole in everyone? The fear that we can only subsume. Now, there's also, of course, the misery of actual exploitation. Just feeling physical pain. Forget existential fear of death. Real momentary fear of pain. It doesn't matter how much we believe in the world beyond, believe in our our painless transition to a, a, a new phase where we will understand, where it will make sense. It's hard to believe that when you're in physical misery and where you're being compelled by some phantom uh, market to do things against your will. Like, against your will. Slavery with extra steps, as old Rick and Morty said. And it is all of us collectively trying to avoid the real pain of life and the spiritual pain of of feeling, at the end of the day, fear that this is all going away and not peace and the knowledge that no you are going somewhere and you're not going away you are and of course you might say well yeah but like what if you get a a safe drop down your head because what I'm talking about is is that if you have that peace the amount of time you spent thinking that way the amount of time alive you spend really in that mindset it creates a world, because remember, we create the world, it creates a world that's different. It changes the world you live in. You no longer live... Okay, I gotta do this fast, because I don't know how long I have. The world that I'm describing, where people operate out of that belief, where you have a community of people, a universal community, where everybody believes believes in not a specific credo, but in that fundamental truth, but has access to advanced systems of technological economic management 
machines, machine labor-saving devices. That is both post-scarcity communism as described by Marx and heaven as described by Christ. God damn it, did it do it again?